Thank you all. Good morning. Let me pray. Um, God, thank you for grace. I pray you'd reveal that to us today, that we would drink of it, that you would uh, reveal us to us, that we would see who we are, and then see you meeting us, coming to us. God, we love you and thank you. Amen. All right, well, good morning, Cedar Rapids, Cedar Falls. My name is Donovan. Excited to be here preaching and uh, certainly praying for God's help. Um, we'll talk a little bit today about Jesus being our friend. I kind of changed the sermon theme, so there's that, worship leaders. Just, just sing about Jesus. We'll be in good shape. We're talking about Jesus being our friend, but also want to talk about fear as a driving force in our lives. Listening to a podcast recently by a man named Eric Weinstein, and uh, he was talking about he has a friend in the finance industry. He works in the finance, finance industry, and this friend of his warned and predicted the financial crash of 08. So if you remember about 12 years ago, housing bubble and all that, his friend predicted it. And he laid out in great detail the signs and the consequences. And eventually it all came to pass. And once it had come to pass, Weinstein called his friend and said, all right, how much money did you make? Because if you know what's going to happen, just make the right bets and you make money. And his friend said, not as much as you'd think. And Eric asked him, well, why? And the guy said, there's a big difference between being fully committed to something and simply believing it's true. So when we talk about Redeemer being a people of invincible joy, we mean fully committed, right? That in the moment, in the trial, when the temptations come, when the insults to your dignity come, when the nations shake, are you full, fully committed or do you simply believe it's true? The reality is we are... We're somewhere in the middle, right? And closing that gap is what we call fight for joy. To take an honest look at ourselves and say, I stand revealed as not fully committed very often. But God, help me. I really encourage you to listen to the Voice of the Martyrs podcast because it'll keep you humble. At least I'm waiting for that. That's what someone told me. I listened to it. It humbles me. I was listening to a man named Will Hart, who uh, leads a ministry called Iris International. It's a global missions. And he got called at one point to the, what was at one point, one of the most dangerous places on earth, the Congo. And uh, he and his wife were uh, preparing for missions, and they were in Africa. But he said, I have this call to Congo. And he came and told his wife, hey, I'm going on a special, basically, trip to, con to the Congo. And she says, I'm coming with you. And he was met with fear, because at that point, Congo was the most dangerous and the rape capital of the world. Did you take your wife there? And he said, this is where he stood revealed. Because it's one thing to run to the altar and say, yeah, Lord, send me. And it's another thing to walk through the Congo, where there's 26 different armed rebel groups. It's the rape capital of the world, and they're staring your wife up and down. So, 
oh, man, I would fear that. So what do you fear? I fear that. Like literally picture yourself in that situation. You're not going to fight them off. You are vulnerable. Now, let's bring it here. Right? In Cedar Rapids, we had a, a derecho that came through and took out power. And some needs are revealed. We need power, right? And thankfully, there were a lot of people that had generators either to land or you could go buy them. And I had a, a generator on, on loan, and I thought, oh, okay, that's one of my basic needs. So therefore, I need to go buy one. And I need gas. How much gas? How long should I prepare for? Here's the issue. You can't prepare enough. Literally, a few weeks ago, it was online looking at, um, like, survival bags. Okay. How much? Two weeks supply? Four weeks supply? Three months supply? Like, what will make you safe? So what do you fear? Fear losing my kids? So last week on a bike ride with my family, and uh, I let my youngest one kind of ride out ahead of us a little bit. I shouldn't have. I took this path that goes through downtown, and you know, she tell her, stop at the street, and then we'll go together and and it became very clear at one moment that she was not going to stop. And I said, hey! And she did the put your feet down to try to stop. Doesn't work. That's why we made breaks. And she was in the middle of the intersection. And the only reason she's here today is, has nothing to do with me. I can't protect my children. I can't buy enough food. We can't vote in enough policy. Like, what will keep you safe? So I posted on Facebook recently, what do you fear? And of course, someone's on there, I fear the Lord. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> so do I. And I don't. So here we are. You know what drives you? Do you know those fears under there? I asked a young man recently, what do you fear? And he thought for a while, and he said, I don't know. Like, do you know? Do you know what drives you? Do you know what gets you up in the morning? Do you know why you're doing what you do? What are your fears? I fear being tortured. I literally do. I stub my toe. And I immediately go, oh, my gosh, if I was to be captured, like in Voice of the Martyrs, they would smash my toe, and I'd turn all of you in. <laughs> now, I'm not even getting there. Look, before you even get out the hammer, bro, like, here's the addresses of the church. <laughs> I fear bugs. Like, Fear. You know, I was thinking about that question, what do I fear? You know what I fear? Not being heard. 
It might have something to do with why I preach. So it's probably a mix of calling and fear. But underneath not being heard is, man, come on. Oh, that's funny. Oh. Well played. <laughs> Let me come back to that. So let's dig into Isaiah 41 here. Generally in the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel, they're coming out of exile. God sent them into exile and judgment for rejecting him. The time has come to end. Cyrus, the king of Persia, has arisen in power, and he took over Babylon, and he's releasing Babylon's captives. So Israel's now been in, in a captivity for decades, and King Cyrus has said, you can go. And that's basically where we are at the end of Isaiah. They have gone through societal trauma, and they are wondering if God has forgotten them. If you remember in the last chapter when Joe preached in Isaiah 40, it says this, this is what they think. My way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't hear me. I am alone. And my right is disregarded by my God. Because, see, they just went through exile, and they don't see that sometimes God's care includes exile. Because the prosperity gospel is not new. This isn't an American thing. We think if God loves us, then things go easy. And they have gone through trial, a necessary trial, to purify them. But that makes them think God has forgotten them. And that he's uninvolved. And that he's distant. And that he doesn't care. And he doesn't hear their cries. So God, chapter 41, verse 1, calls a meeting. He calls to the coastlands. And when he says coastlands, he means the peoples of the earth. All the nations. Listen to me. In silence, O coastlands. So he's going to call a meeting where he stands accused. God, you've forgotten your people. You're distant. You're uninvolved. He goes, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come together, and I'm going to be judged. But before we do, renew your strength. That's what he says. Let them approach. Let the peoples renew their strength. Kind of like when Job had a complaint, and God said, okay, Job, I'm going to listen to you, but gird up your loins. Get a good breakfast. C.S. Lewis talks about the tendency of man to put God in the dock, is what he says, that we make ourselves judge, and then we put God in the dock, and he's being judged by us. And he puts it this way. He says, man is the judge, God is in the dock. He, man, is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, then we are ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is on the dock. And here God, I believe, just plays into that and says, okay, I'll be in the dock. Let's look at the evidence. Am I detached, forgetting, unloving? Do I not hear the cries of my children? Verse 2, who stirred up the one from the east? He's talking about King Cyrus. See, God had predicted Israel's captivity. 
and he stirred up Assyria, and then he stirred up Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, and he carried them away. He's not inactive. He was active in their captivity. And then what did he do when it was time, as predicted, to release the captives? He stirred up the one from the east. He's not distant. He is not uninvolved. He's there. He hears their cries. He is managing his people's outcome. He has his eye on them. He was involved pre-exile. He was involved during the exile. And he is involved post-exile. This is, listen to more description of King Cyrus. Who stirred up the one from the east? Whom, this is Cyrus, victory meets at every step. He gives up, he, the Lord, gives up nations before him, Cyrus, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow, bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Cyrus pursues nations by paths his feet have not trod. Those are the paths that God has trod. God leads the nations. And it wasn't hard. You know, the fall of a nation can happen like that. There is no mighty nation like that. It was easy. He tramples kings underfoot. And verse 4 returns, who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. This is the way it's always been. I, the Lord, the first. It means I called the first. So think back. Let's just go with Pharaoh. God raised up Pharaoh. God raised up the king of Assyria. God raised up David. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. God raised up Cyrus. I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. I raised them all up. God raised up Trump. God may raise up Biden. And even the scariest of them, Mike Pence. God raised him up. God is not distant. He activates History And when the nations see this, because the word has spread that God is going to deliver his people, and God delivered his people, the captives are set free and being sent back to the land. The nations see this, and what do they do? They fear. Verse 5, the coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. And what do they do? Verse 6, everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So they're colluding together. Against God, because they're fearful, and they make idols. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer strengthens him who strikes with the anvil. Saying of the soldering, it is good, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. They run to their gods. Now notice this. They strengthen them with nails. So you build your god, and then you got to nail it down in case there's a derecho, right? You might have a clue there when you have to strengthen your idol with nails. It might topple. And then comes the contrast. Now, they're afraid because God is, in a sense, scary. He moves the nations. He raised up Pharaoh who took Israel into captivity or made them slaves once they were there. He raised up Nebuchadnezzar who took them into captivity. This is not easy stuff. God is scary. He is. He's the infinite, most powerful creator of the universe with one word moves nations. That's scary. 
So when the nations see that, there's, it's a proper response. But you, Israel, so you have a different relationship with him. My servant, Jacob, he's talking to his people, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. So this is where we get to the, when I talked about Jesus being our friend. God calls you friend. And we'll see later, Jesus literally says this to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but my friends. That's your identity. That's who you are. I took you from the ends of the earth. Yes, you were cast off. Yes, you were alone. Yes, you were unheard. But no longer. I have seen you. I see you. I know your fears. And in that, I meet you and call you and draw you and call you my friend. I took you. I called you from the farthest corners saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not. The nations are afraid, for I am against them. Fear not, I am with you. I got an image about this this week, and it's a little silly, but it's like God is King Kong. (laughs) And the nations are afraid, right? But not his lady. Well, she is too, but she shouldn't be. That's kind of the point. He cares for her. He has set his affection on her. Man, is he frightening? Yeah. Will he swat down the nations? Yeah. But not you. You are my friend. You were cast off, but I have called you. So fear not. Be not dismayed. No matter what happens, no matter what you see, no matter what shakes, No matter what trembles, why? Because I will strengthen you. See, the nations, they strengthen their gods. They nail them down. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Fear not. So the call for the church moving forward is to live in that. Oh, the nations rage The kingdoms totter. All kinds of calamity can occur. And yet, what are you really? We're given over to fear because we know that we are flesh. We are vincible in and of ourselves. We need food. We need water. We feel pain. We die. We need societal stability. And when these things get threatened, fear kicks in. This is how politics works. Everybody does it, both sides right now. What are they trying to make you afraid of, and where are they leading you to find refuge? It's not the Lord, I'll tell you that. So, simple enough? Any questions? And when that fear kicks in, you can either go to God or you can go to God's. False gods. So we do that. So he talks in here about them having idols and carvings, right? They, they, the goldsmith smooths with the hammer, and they strike with the anvil, and they have soldering, and then they nail them down, and there's their little idols. And 
I, I often say, like, we don't really do that nowadays. Well, maybe you do, right? It's kind of like one day I was preaching, and there was a verse about sorcerers. And I was like, ha, any sorcerers in here? And there was. Literally introduced herself to me afterwards. I was like, oh, so maybe you do have idols nailed down in your cupboards. All right. But either way, we have them nailed down in our hearts, right? Like, this is the issue, that in our fear, we will either go to God or something else, which we call God's. Or idols. And sometimes we do run to like the supernatural. Literally, I was saw an ad this week. We're at Lindale Mall in Cedar Rapids where we do services. There's an event where there will be astrology readings, gemstones, crystals, metaphysical jewelry, classes on preparing witches' bottles, Sorcerer 101. So maybe it's like that. Maybe that's something you feel tempted to go to. But basically, the, the question is, what do you run to when society is shaking? Some of us run to guns. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't have guns, right? What I'm saying, do you run to them? Listen to this, stats. When Obama was voted in, gun sales rock skyrocketed. And we can get into why and what that implies. But the point is, a million guns, you can look at the graphs, it goes like this, million guns sold when Obama was voted in. People were afraid of something. Sandy Hook shooting, two million. And just this past year, in COVID pandemic, two million. Even a bunch of libs who were pro previously like, like anti-gun are like, well, maybe it's a good idea. <laughs> Why? Because they got afraid. Or maybe we should just make more rules and more rulers, right? But it's kind of like, what will do it? Remember that guy in, in the Congo? Like, what is he going to do? Like, what will keep him safe? Even beyond that. Because sometimes there is exile. And sometimes there is horrific things that happen to women. And the question is, where is God during? Like, what does safe mean? Okay, safe means my, my family doesn't get hurt. But what if they do get hurt? Does that mean I'm unsafe? Because Israel went through exile, and God is still saying, you're mine. Because at the end of the day, like, we're not just our flesh. We're not just our flesh, right? Like, I will, my body will starve. My flesh will die. But God says, that's not who you are. Who you are is my friend. Fear not. Fear not in the most horrifying circumstances you can imagine. I have set my heart on you. And you will live. Do you believe this? So what is our deepest need? And I think it's Well, our deepest fear is to, I, I think this is right, to be unwanted. To be, that's why he's saying to them, you're not cast off. So back to like my wanting to be heard, because see, that's my love language. If you listen to me, I feel like you want me. Some of my wife and I's greatest conflicts when I feel like she won't listen. 
And she doesn't have to. I'm not God. But it's, it's deep. It's not just like, oh, she won't listen. It's like, my life is at stake. I must be heard. I don't want to be cast off. I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to cry out to the night and there's no response. I don't want to be like as the doors say, right, a dog without a bone and actor all alone. Like, is this, are we just alone? Are we just orphans? Are we just cast off? Are we just born into this world or thrown into this world? And there's no father to call back. There's no friend. It's just this that will pass and burn. Is that all there is? Is this life? which is a shadow, which is really death, or is there something? Is there someone? Because it seems like my voice has been disregarded, and God speaks into that and says, friend, I have not cast you off. I have not cast you off. That need to be wanted. Can you admit that? Because it sounds desperate in relationship, human relationships. Like, you know, when people come across too needy, please want me. I want you to want me. I need you to need me. And you're like, ugh. But the reason we do that is because we're meant to do that, and God's supposed to fill that hole. And when people put that on us, it's cringy because we realize they're putting us in God's place, and we can't handle it. So we go, oh, back off a bit. But that desire to be wanted, God. See, here's what we believe about God. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together wanting one another in community, in delight, in approval. Never being unheard. Never being cast off. And that's the essence of reality and what we're meant for. God says, I'm calling you into that. I'm calling you friend. That drive to be wanted is so... I won't name names, but I was talking to one of my children. They started going to, uh, we started sending them to public school half the time because we don't love them. <laughs> and they have to wear masks there or a shield. So I said to one of my kids, why not wear a plastic shield, right? Like, then you can just breathe. You don't sit there for hours and hours breathing through the mask. And uh, this child responded, no, then I'd be weird. Like, you'd rather have trouble breathing, you know, it's on a scale, it's not that bad, than be peculiar. Why? I want to be wanted. I want to be wanted. And I understand that. Don't condemn that child for that because that's how I am, right? But that's not that big a deal, but sometimes it gets really crazy. It's what drives our relationships, and it just becomes so messy. And I have a whole lot of descriptions here about what that can look like, and I just feel like skipping it today. But God wants you. He calls you friend. He'll be your friend. Sometimes I, because of my role, I'm visible and I have a lead role. I, I get people who want to spend time with me, and that's good in a way, and, and it has its limits. Um, but 
I just want you to know that I can't strengthen you. I can't help you, really. I have sat with the desperate and found myself wanting. What do I say? I can't uphold them, but God can with his righteous right hand. That God is your friend. The gospel tells us that in our sin, we are forsaken, separated from God, cast out from the garden, actors all alone. Alone together. That's, think about that. Have you seen people at dinner alone together? That's the underlying operating system of humanity in our sin. Oh, we're together. But there's distance and voids. Gosh, and it has driven history. And then God says, now, but now. Yes, that is the default operating system of the human heart. But in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you were far off from what? God, life, joy, belonging, being wanted, the thing, the thing. Where were you far off from life? But in Christ Jesus... We have been brought near by his blood. So where the gospel is that Jesus came, he's God in the flesh, he took on the sins of humanity, he was cast out for us, he went unheard, he went unheard, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't hear me, there was no response. He took your life. He took your fears. He was cast out for you. Why? So that through his blood you could be brought in, brought near, near. So that those words he spoke to his disciples in John 15 would come true. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But God has told us what he's doing. I have raised up Cyrus. From the beginning it's me. I let you into my plans. Because you're not my servant, you're my friend. You are my friend. I hear you when your wife won't listen, when your husband won't listen, when someone leaves you and breaks your heart, when you've gone through trauma and it's the dark night of the soul, God has not cast you off. He calls you friend. So is Jesus your friend or just a philosophy? That's something we've talked to, we've talked about in the last seasons that we can tend to make Christianity a philosophy, just the facts. But is he your friend? There's a song we sing called In Tenderness. It says this, he died for me while I was sinning, needy and poor and blind. He whispered to assure me, did he? Listen to this. This is very personal. This isn't just like, I heard the facts. I agree with the propositions. He, my friend, whispered to assure me. What, what is that assurance? I found you. I found you. You're mine. You're mine. You're not cast off. 
I never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? And so we, we go to him. Listen, this is the truth. If you are a Christian in Christ and you have believed, you are God's friend. You are secure in him. You are not cast off. And we get confused by the world and all the challenges and all the things. And, and the, the way to respond is not in fear like the nations and go to God's, but to go to God. Just come. Sometimes the reason that we're experiencing that is because we've grown old with God, like that old cup, couple at the restaurant not talking. But he says, come to me. Let me finish with this. This is uh, an old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. Why? All our sins and griefs to bear. He can bear them, but we've got to go to him. Where do you go during the week when grief strikes? You go to God's or you go to God? Go to God. He's your friend. He wants to bear your griefs. Oh, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Peace is offered to you, but we often forfeit it. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All why? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God, here I am at the foot of the cross, at the end of myself. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord and prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? The answer is no. Everyone will draw the line. Everyone will draw the line. <laughs> I will draw the line. You all have lines. I have pushed my family over the line. God will not draw a line. There is no line. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? The answer is no. Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So that's what we're doing here. It's going to him, and this isn't the only time. We do it through the week with one another in groups, but I think this is a special time. Corporate drive and corporate prayer and energy and longing and gifts to lean into him together. And I pray that you'd ask him to renew your strength, to strengthen you. So we're going to enter a time of response where we worship God together. So let me invite the musicians up. And what that means is we're going to linger here a little bit, and ask God to speak, ask God to whisper, right, I found thee, thou art mine, we do that through song, we're going to sing, cry out to him, and commune with him, this is a time to kind of push out all the crowding voices of the world, and listen to our friend.
If you believe God is revealing a word for you today for the body, that he has something encouraging and strengthening for us, I encourage you to take that to Glenn if you're in Cedar Rapids, to the MC if you're in Cedar Falls. Sometimes God speaks to us individually. Sometimes it's for uh, just us. Sometimes it's for a friend. Sometimes it's for the body. If it is, submit it to the pastors and uh, trust their discernment in that. And we're going to take communion. Communion is a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, right? The good news that he was cast off. That's where he was cast off. That's where he went silent so that you could be heard and brought in, right? By the blood we're brought in. That's what brings us in. It isn't just some waving of the hand by God that goes, oh, all right. There had to be a price. Sin is no light thing. And Jesus took that. And so I pray today as we take communion and we envision him bloody on the cross that those stripes would be a symbol, a signal of his nearness to us. That's why he hurts, because he got close to us. He's not far. He's near. And so the words of Jesus the night before his crucifixion instituted the Last Supper. He gave them instructions by which to remember him. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the, bo- the bread rec- represents the breaking of the body for you. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he's saying, This cup, the wine, the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. It's his purchase bringing you in as a friend of God. So if you have a communion cup, that's an opportunity for you to celebrate on your own time or with a friend or with your family as you confess and pray together. If you don't have one, uh, we'll have someone walking around the aisles that can give you one in the future. Please remember to bring those in or grab those on the way in. We'll just make it a little simpler. So let me pray. And we'll get into it. God, thank you for grace, for coming toward us and your faithfulness. Faithfulness, even when we waver and, and uh, get distracted, you keep calling us back to you, God. So I thank you for that. Pray you'd work in a great way as we seek you in response. Amen.